Did you see the email we got um, with the acronym for the if you can making it <laughs> oh, yeah. here, you can making it anywhere? <laughs> oh, no, I missed it. What does it say? <laughs> it was from Nick Carruthers. And it was just so funny because the title of the email was I-Y-C-M-I-H-Y-C-M-I-A. Oh, I did see that. I, I didn't click on it. I did see that. Sorry, Nick. That's funny. It, w- it was awesome. He was just offering to help. But I think regardless of whether we call it that or not, which we're not, we should put that on a T-shirt just because. Oh, <laughs> well, you can making it here. You can making it anywhere. That's New York that's, for you, baby. That's true, baby. <laughs> how was they how was thanksgiving oh thanksgiving uh, was good you know i i thanksgiving is nice to decompress the whole week for me was sort of decompressing i didn't really do too much of anything actually me and brett made about 300 ice picks but inside, you know, <laughs> didn't from, do much anything <laughs> but i'm saying like any like variable thing so we made ice picks monday tuesday wednesday and then thursday once in my friend jessica's house and hung out with her family taylor and i and uh we uh, we just laid around. It's you know what is that saying? A body in motion remains in motion. A body at rest will just get super tired and achy and cranky. Is that what I'm <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. when I don't move, I feel like a seventy-five-year-old man. But when I keep moving and I don't stop, I can just keep going. I can work until three in the morning. I, I, nothing mm. bothers me. But when I stop and I eat. 7,000 calories and I just sit around and do nothing like my joints immediately start to hurt and that's when that's when I look and I go oh I could eat another one of those I think there's still room to shove one of those in my left cheek you know whatever it is like a cookie or something sitting around that piece of pie will make my joints feel better (laughs) exactly yeah so for that for that reason I don't like the holiday because you just immediately come to a screeching halt like you'd be running 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 you all fall and then all of a sudden you're just like I'm just going to lay here and do nothing all day long and try and have idle chit chat. Yeah. So it, it was nice. Pace, it was a nice. It was a nice break in the action, and I'm definitely back in motion. But it takes a lot a while. You, know, you need a lot of WD-40 in my joints, and it doesn't start on the first pull. You know. <laughs> I have a question about the ice picks. Yeah. You said that you made 300 ice picks, the two of you together. Mm-hmm. Over how long? Like, how many hours is that between the two of you? Uh, well, to be honest, what I say is we finish them because I'm always prepping them in the background. We prep them like we have. Now, my, my workshop is turning into like a little mini factory at times because I have these bins. I have like a standardized bin. It's like the little Duresta bin. And it's uh, 14 and a half by nine by three. And these bins hold the ice picks. And I have like 30 of them. And I make them out of scrap wood. And a couple years ago for a make video and make, the Maker Channel, I made one with dovetails and that established that size. And I made them for the ice picks I was doing at the time. And now we have them everywhere. So I have these bins and they're everywhere. There's like bins with ice picks that I made months ago. And there's bins with with sheets that I cut in preparation for soldering. So all these things were all kind of prepped and around. And they all came together this week. At least 300 of them came together where we solder the rings on the tubes and then we polish them. Polishing them is, is really the, the biggest, most difficult part. And polishing them and then scotch brighting them and then putting them in a package and oiling the things. There's all these little standards that have become part of the process. Just through year, a few years ago, I try to tumble. Everyone always says, oh, tumble all your parts in a tumbler. So I tumbled them in a tumbler that I bought at, at Harbor Freight. And not only does it take like 24 hours to get a texture on the thing, which is really annoying. All the tubes completely filled with water or moisture. And so one thing I didn't realize is I put all the picks in them and that whole batch of picks got to the clients rusty because there was still water in the tubes. Uh, you know, even if it was just a little bit of moisture, I tried to bake out. I knew there was moisture. I tried to bake it out, but it wasn't enough. And so now everything has to get oiled as it goes in the tube. So there's all these little processes. And that's what we did this week is we culminated all those little parts and processes and just finished them. And the ice picks have been selling really well. And we got the minis now, which sell really well. So we're making the minis and then the big ones. And we're gonna we got to do more this week. So, like I said, it's been a long preparation for the holiday season, just to get as as many ready as possible. And that's that's where we're at. So it's just really assembling those fine parts. When I say we made them, really was assembling all the parts we've had around, and that we that we're currently prepping. Like I need to buy more tubing, so I'll go on online metals and I'll buy 
you know, 100 feet of tubing, and then each one of those tubes gets cut to four and five inches, and they get a ring soldered to them. Hmm. That's quite a process. Have you yeah. found, uh, is like 300 the kind of number that you can batch at a time that is, because I feel like there's probably a number somewhere where fewer than that number is too much work, you know, uh, for the amount that is, but then you do above that number, there's probably too many at a time. Is, well, is that- <clears throat> what I found is that uh, when I first, for the first year, I made them only every time after I sold 100. That was the magic number. I would get a message from Scott that we just pre-sold 100, and I had two weeks to make them, and then pre-sold another 100. And then, obviously, the demand was ahead of the, uh, the, the, the production got ahead of the demand because I knew they were going to sell them no matter what I made. And so then I just made them in groups of 100, 150, 200. And they seem to always sell, so I don't have to be too concerned about being stuck with inventory. And if I do get stuck, every time I meet a family friend or somebody, I go, oh, here's a nice pick. So that's when we go through the quality control and we have one that's been misstamped or it has a bad solder joint or there's something goofy about it. We just put it on the side. Those are the ones I give to the people that come over and visit and want, you know, oh, you know, my dad's friend will come and be like, hey, get one of those ice picks. I'll just give him one of the screwed up ones. But people like that. I always say these are all the seconds. I leave them around here. It's usually like five out of 100 or four out of 100. I just keep on the side. And so they, it seems like they'll always go. I don't know what the question was. Was the question, am I going to get stuck with inventory? <laughs> no, no, no. It was just like, I didn't, is there a magic number that seems to be worth doing as a batch? Or is it just... No, you know what we're doing now, and uh, I, I don't. I don't think I even talked about this. We just have we just have them for sale all the time. It's this. We're going to do this into the holiday season, and if it sell, if it turns out we we oversell ninety, I'll just make ninety five. And if we undersell whatever couple of tens of tens I'll have left over, I'll just keep them for the next time there's a spike in sales. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite uses for the ice pick is I have it underneath in one of the drawers in my bench and the glue bottles and all they always clog up you grab the ice yep. pick you pull out the dry glue and then getting glue squeezed out out of the corners where i'll just yep. put a paper towel around it and just it's always right there and it's always super handy mine looks like it went through war it's full of glue and it's oh, starting mine's to corrode hard. and yeah and uh it mine's looks, always it looks rusty because i put it away with coffee on it Look at my a prison ship. Yeah. Wow. Why does it have coffee on it? Because I poke a hole in it to put my little tiny stirrer straw as a drink straw drink straw. This is exactly oh. the diameter of like a little tiny swivel straw. Huh. You know. Yeah, you know, when you oh. drink you drink through a rusty coffee cup hole, you know. You know. Well, I thought maybe you thing. you had like a special ice pick that's hollow on the inside, so you could poke it down into a drink and drink out of it. That's oh, I mean, idea. there's wow. an idea. Yeah, that's, that's a free one. That's going to be in my movie. My next hundred uses for the ice pick. I'm just going to stick it into a drink and suck on the end of it. <laughs> hmm. Thanks, Bob. That's a good idea. Cool. Well, I, was, I mean, it's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what we're Thanksgiving. Doing. We're just selling ice picks. That's what I'm doing. Thank you. Cool. Sorry. I'll be here all day. We, we, uh, we had ribs. We had barbecue ribs for Thanksgiving. <gasps> Turkey ribs. Cool. Yeah, so on my on my mom's side, uh, not everybody's the biggest turkey eater, so sometimes we change it up. A couple years ago, we had Thanksgiving spaghetti. This year, we had Thanksgiving ribs, and it was really good. Then we went over to Kelly's folks and had traditional turkey, which was also really good. And so I think the... The sum of my entire day was really good. <laughs> it was delicious. It was very delicious. I ate plenty. I Usually what happens is I collect all the leftovers from the two or three families that we go to. And then I take them home. And then I find myself eating those leftovers at midnight. I did not eat mm-hmm. leftovers at midnight this time. I ate them all the next day for lunch. So I, nice. I, showed, I showed a little bit more self-control than I have in the past. I don't know what that means but i think i'm a better person now <laughs> yeah, sure yeah that sounds yeah. good yeah do you do you find that like because for me thanksgiving the in the day causes basically the entire weekend to be long weekend to be just out of whack mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. does it do that to you too or do you can you get back into the swing of things oh no it's 100 percent because 
you a lot of times Kelly will have the Friday off, you know, and so then it just feels like, oh, we should hang out. And she actually worked a little bit on Friday this year, but it, it feels like, oh, it, it's part of the weekend. And it was a little bit hard to get back into this swing of things. And I already feel behind on certain things. And so uh, I do feel like the holidays interrupt a good workflow. And yeah, in the past, you always look forward to the f- three or four day weekend, you know, to get away from work. And now I don't like getting away from work because I like doing w- what I do. So it's a it's a weird it's a weird feeling. It's like I, sh- I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. I never really thought about that. But, yeah, you're totally right. Like you. I mean, we've talked about that relative to vacations before, but I hadn't really thought about it to a holiday I love Christmas. I love doing stuff with the family. But yeah, it's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to be <laughs> unproductive. Like, oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> That's a lot. Huh. Yeah, totally. I mean, my kids are off school, you know, for all of those times. So I try to take advantage of that and spend time with them. So I didn't work a full – I worked some on Friday and then a little bit over the weekend while they were outside playing and stuff. Um, I had – a project I was trying to finish up. I'm, t- I'm making some shelves for my friend, and she uh, she weaves, so she does weaving, and sells them at craft shows a lot. So she wanted a display to put this weaving stuff on. So she wanted some shelves, but there was a condition that they had to break down so that she could pack them up and take them to different shows, with the biggest piece of the shelves being four feet long. So it was an interesting challenge to make a set of steel and walnut shelves that could be... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I ended up getting rid of the A-frame thing, and they're just a rectangular set of shelves, but it breaks down uh, into... So they're about six feet tall, and so it breaks down into two separate pieces that are 36 inches tall, 36 inches wide. So you can set the two shelves next to each other on the floor, or you can stack them and make it vertical, like one big piece. And um, I think that turned out nice. I mean, they're they're intentionally lightweight, you know, so they wouldn't hold a bunch of paperwork or anything if you had tons of heavy stuff. But to fit what she's going to use them for and to be collapsible and kind of minimal, uh, I think they worked out pretty well. Sweet. But the A-frame thing, I think, complicated in, in a way that it didn't need to be complicated, you know. The aesthetic wasn't that important. It was just kind of the first thought. So by getting rid of that, it made it a lot easier to make two things that could stack or fit next to each other. And so I finished that up, but I, I was trying to finish that this weekend. And so while the kids would run outside and play for a little bit, you know, in the afternoon when it wasn't too cold, I'd run down and try to work on it a little bit. And I, I got them finished. So that's cool. Hmm. And, uh, started working on, I've been working on, uh, our laundry room, we're renovating our laundry room. And so started kind of some of the initial work there and got the linoleum ripped up, which was so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> so, I can tell by uh, your did face. That and, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I got that scraped up, which is a lot of work. And it's it's weird. Like the linoleum, I guess, depending on how people put it down or how long it's been down, it comes up in different ways. This stuff it kind of like shattered when I was scraping it up. You know, it's linoleum, so it's kind of vinyl-y, but it cracks. It 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 doesn't peel up in big sheets like you would kind of hope, I guess, because the adhesive underneath it is not uniform. And so the parts where it was stuck down uh, hold pretty well, and the parts that aren't stuck down will try to rip. And so it just it ends up breaking up into tons and tons of these two- or three-inch pieces. So it was... It only took about maybe 45 minutes to get the whole floor pretty clear, but it it just came up really differently than I expected because I've never had to take that stuff up before. Hmm. Anyway, so I got that pulled up and um, got, you know, we ended up doing some work on the walls, painting the walls, painting the doors and the trim and stuff like that, trying to prep all of that. And then this week we should be getting a delivery of tile and a new sink and I got to go buy a bunch of cedar and we're going to be building tons of storage and tons of like a bench and all this stuff. So I've got a whole lot of work ahead of me to get that room done. Um, and it's got to be done pretty quickly. So Why so? 
It's uh, sponsored by Lowe's, and just part of the agreement was they wanted it before the end of the year. And gotcha. we've been – it's been kind of behind. Like the logistics of working with a company that size are tough. I mean they're great to work with, but there's just a lot of pe- a lot of opinions involved, you know, a lot of people that have to sign off on things. So it's just taken a little while to kind of get rolling. But now we're moving – ordered all the stuff and so everything's going to be coming in over this next week and then you know i was looking at the even the tile for a room like that it's not a big room it's maybe maybe 10 feet wide maybe 20 feet long i don't know i haven't measured it i did measure it but i don't remember what the measurements are but even a room of that size the um the tile for the floor i'd forgotten because it's been 20 years since i did tile work how much time is going to go into just that portion of the room, right? So you got like, you got to put down the underlayment stuff, wait a day for that mortar to set up. Then you put down the tiles, wait a day, put down the grout, wait a day, uh, seal the grout, wait three days. And that's just the tile. So that's like a week's worth of, you know, like work a little bit and then wait, work a little bit and wait. And so when you're looking at basically four weeks to have the entire thing done, like that's a, pretty significant chunk of just waiting you know so i've got that to look forward to um but i'm actually pretty excited about i haven't done a room renovation in a while haven't done any like really you know like work to the house other than flooring so i'm kind of excited to have a a room transform that'll be cool i have a i have a question so is this something you've been wanting to do for a long time but because now it's sponsored, you're you're kind of forced to do it, or you're doing it sooner than expected. It's something. It's been on the list. So there's there's only a few rooms in the house that we haven't touched, and we haven't touched them because they weren't big. A big well, okay. So the kitchen and dining room combo is just this. It's a big kitchen, and we haven't touched that because it's going to cost a billion dollars to do the kitchen. So that's you know just that'll wait. It works fine. It's just outdated. Whatever. Uh, the master bathroom works fine but looks like 1983 and so that one we were waiting on to do one of these days same for the laundry room worked fine just super outdated and now that we have the opportunity to have it sponsored and that helps pay for the renovation i'm like yeah let's do let's do that so we're gonna do that in the bathroom you reminded me many years ago i was excuse me i was working with the hgtv and they hinted that maybe we do a bathroom renovation on one of the episodes i was talking about so I left one of the bathrooms in this house undone, and it's still undone for sponsorship. <laughs> and, when I, and it doesn't sound like a big deal, but there's three bathrooms in this house, and one of them's very – one of them looks like it was that way for many, many years, like from 1920s, which I redid to look like that. And the other one looks like exactly like uh, home uh, – uh, hardware restoration hardware. That's exactly what this one bathroom looks like. It's like a modern version of what you know country house looks like. And then the other bathroom looks like it's a combination of uh, gas station bathrooms from the seventies. It's all put together. <laughs> and that's the one room that I haven't done over yet. And uh, I'm waiting. I thought I was waiting, and then now so much time has gone by. And now I definitely have to use it for a video if I ever get the opportunity. Yeah. So that's funny. That's my bathroom. I like mm. I like the feeling of going into a gas station bathroom and you know with a key connected to a rim. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask Taylor for the key oh, to yeah? the bathroom every time I. Hear. Oh yeah, that's. You that's have to buy something every <laughs> no. time you want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <But> it, <laughs> that's for customers only, sir. <laughs> but we have in this one little section of my house these two little tiny bathrooms that were obviously used to be some different room. Somebody decided to make them into two little bathrooms. And Taylor, for years, has been wanting to combine them. And we can bump outside onto the covered porch. So we could take these two little bathrooms, combine them, make them twice the size, and then make them even maybe four times the size by bumping out four feet into the undercover porch. And something we've been talking about doing. But for now, it's my bathroom and her bathroom. And she has the Holly Hobby bathroom, and I have the 70s gas station bathroom. And I actually really like it. So I never go in her bathroom. She never goes in mine. So I think about we have, combining them. It makes me neurotic. There's a bathroom in my basement here with the shop. And it's my. it was like, you know, the shop bathroom. My grandfather just used it to rinse paintbrushes. And, like, it, it, it was never intentionally turned. I mean, it's a bathroom 
like by definition, <laughs> but it's super gross. And we call it the gas station bathroom because as soon as you open the door, you're like, whoa. Like it's technically clean. It just doesn't look clean. <laughs> like so, my bathroom. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's the same thing. It's like I me. didn't know anybody else called I'm te- it. But, yeah. Technically clean, but I'm not. <laughs> I don't look clean. <laughs> so, it's funny how often, like, there are so many house projects, and then I, I put them off because I don't want to do them. And then a sponsorship comes along. I'm like, I have the perfect project for that. And it forces me to do that project. Mm-hmm. We have a closet renovation. And when we uh, had new hardwood flooring put in, the, the hallway has these two sliding doors into a closet. And they had to take off the sliding doors to do the floor. And and we're like, oh, man, that really opened up the space. Don't put the doors back on. Someday we're going to redo that. So currently it's just shelves and everything is just kind of thrown on there. And so the plan is to take that out and put in uh, a, a little counter, a cabinet, and some shelves above that with doors and drawers and everything. And uh, it's not something I'm really looking forward to do, but then the right sponsor came along, and so now it's scheduled to start in January. So it'll be yeah. Money, money is a is a great motivator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, what I was thinking the other day about this though, there's a few things like that, like the rooms I talked about, where I've we want to do them, but it's not a big priority. Yeah, so we're doing the same thing. We just leave them there. But there's going to come a point where. I mean, in the next couple of years where every room in the house is renovated. Hmm. And I mean, you'll hit that too, right? And so like, what do you do then? You're running out of those, <laughs> those like, you know, back shelf opportunities that you just like put it up there and just wait for the right, you know, sponsor. <laughs> right. I'm not going to have them anymore. And I'm certainly not going to buy another house and renovate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that now. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm done. I mean, I guess there's always stuff you can do, like even you know, replace things that you've done before as time goes on. But yeah, I don't know. I've, hmm. I've laid enough hardwood flooring that I, I'm, I'm happy to be done when I'm done. You know, that herringbone pattern looks amazing though. Oh, thank you. And it looks like a ton Thanks. of work, but it looks, the outcome is fantastic. It was a lot of work. Um, but I kind of, it was interesting cause I put that off for a year, <laughs> I guess a year and a half or something. Um, and then it was finally to a point where I had it on the schedule and I wanted to try to get it in before the end of this calendar year. So I I saw, like, it's it's a couple of months out, so I'm just going to take a day and, like, do the first step. And I don't usually work that way. Like, I usually, I, I'll, you know, if Project A is ready, then I just work on that until it's done. Or I have a couple kind of going at the same time, but I don't start them without the having a, a hard date to end them on. But with that flooring, I knew that there was going to be so much tedious you know, repetition on all the different stages. I was like one day just, well, okay, I'll go ahead and at least cut the pieces and then I'll just have them stacked there for a couple of months. And it was like, once I had them cut, I was like, well, the next couple of days later, I was like, well, I mean, I could, I could do this next little piece. And so I spent a couple hours doing that thing. And then I just realized that over a week or so I had prepped all the material and I was like, well, I <laughs> guess I could just go lay it down. I mean, that's, that's the easy part turned out it wasn't really that easy but you know <laughs> it was funny though because i wasn't really planning on doing it it just kind of i started it and then it just kind of kept moving along and yeah now it's done and now i walk in there every time i'm like there's got to be something else in this room that i have yet to do that's I'm looking around i'm like no nope. no it's it's done because it sat there for a year <laughs> <laughs> undone but and i it was actually uh I don't often get praise from professionals for my work, which is totally cool, <laughs> whatever. But it was interesting to get uh, – I had several comments from people who said, like, I do flooring professionally and you did a great job. And that was the end of the comment. I'm like, oh, wow. That's like, that's, that's quite nice. a compliment. It wasn't like, you did a great job, except your house is going to explode. Right. <laughs> you know, or right. except – well, doing a doing a flow like that is is complicated because there's so many opportunities to leave a nick or a mark or a miscut piece, and you did an absolutely perfect job. It seems. Oh, it's not perfect, not at all. It, well, <laughs> but thank you. That's the beauty of YouTube and filming. It looks perfect. Yeah. yeah. There was one spot like I had to once I had the pattern laid down. I had to cut off the outside, you know, the edges that stuck out, and then go back with a router and route a little micro bevel all the way around that cut line off well, three sides. And, uh, I was pulling the router along it and I don't really know 
exactly what happened. I think one of the boards had, was like a little bit taller than the one next to it or something. But, you know, I'm moving the router and I'm trying to go not too slow, but not too fast. Just running along this edge. It's got a bearing on it. And I'm going along and then it just kind of hung for just a second. And I realized that it was stuck. I guess maybe the router base ran up against a taller board. And so it, it caught just for a second. And then I like lifted it and then moved on, went all the way around. And then I came back and looked at that spot. And there's yeah. a little burn yeah. where it like Paused. it dug in just a little bit. And it was just a split second. But that's the thing I see when I walk. Uh, and it's right in the middle of the doorway, the big doorway, too. So like it's, you know, oh, well, okay. uh, it's certainly not perfect. So I'm looking at the video now and I see the burn mark you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. You, you should comment on it, Jimmy. Uh, good job, except that burn except. mark is going to make it explode. Before yeah, we hop still. into our, our topic, uh, I want to talk about the video that I just put out a couple days ago. I finally made the video of my grandfather where I went to a shop. Yeah, and, and, I watched um, it. Me and my buddy watched it. And... Oh my goodness! The response to that video has just been overwhelming. It's it's like on pace to be the most commented video and the most likes I've ever had on a video. Uh, so many people, and it was the intention was to just kind of show my grandfather his shop, what he does, and completely like leave myself out of it. So I I edited out me asking him questions, and I just wanted it to be about him, and it was just kind of like a uh, I don't know how to better phrase it, but like brag, like this is this is how cool my grandpa is, right? And but so many people responded with like, "This reminds me of my grandfather." Thank you for doing this. Or uh, he, my grandfather, wore his World War II honor flight hat, and lots of people were like, "Thank you, grandfather, for his service." And it was just, I could not believe the response that I got from it. And so, thank everybody for watching and 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 commenting because my uh um uh my my family absolutely loves it i haven't talked to him yet so i don't know if he's if he's seen the video yet so but thank you everybody for watching it's the most it was really cool thank you it's i am it's the video that i've made that's like probably the most important one to me and the most proud so if you if you haven't seen it please please go watch it it's completely different than anything i've ever done yeah, it's in my list. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a nice little document that you'll be really happy you made. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of weird that stuff like that no, – it's not weird. But, you know, that we all have a connection like that to somebody, whether it's a grandfather or a father or somebody. I did a video when my grandfather was really sick, like right near the end, and it was he wasn't in it. It wasn't really about him, but it was me in his shop doing some work. And I still, and that was three years ago or something, I still get comments from people like, oh, man, I just lost my so-and-so recently or or I'm about to and, like, this means a whole lot and I totally get what you were feeling at that moment and stuff like that. It's interesting that things like that really do connect to other people. I mean, I guess we all have that same, <laughs> you know, death is is a commonality for everybody or not death, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. In, in my case, that video... Uh, it was a connection to a lot of people. So, but well, do we have a topic? We kind of had a topic, didn't we? Yeah, we have a topic. Kevin Lazat. I spent the weekend over at Kevin's house. Uh, I was in New Hampshire, so Kevin's house wasn't too much further. So I went and hung out with him and got to see his shop. And we brainstormed up some new ideas we're going to work on. And uh, he came up with an idea for a topic. He always has really good suggestions. And this one is a topic idea is having the perception of proper or pleasing proportions in design, like how lines and shadows and shapes actually translate to something that's visually pleasing. Are some shapes and proportions inherently good? So much that we like them without even being conscious, and why? And that's a, that's a really good conversation because, a, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, we all three of us went to art school, but the three of us can detect somebody who did not go to art school, <laughs> or at least did not pay attention uh am i right am i right in that i mean i feel like i can see like when you see somebody remember a couple of years ago i said this thing when someone hands me my logo and i go oh <laughs> it's the same thing when somebody's like oh i made a mailbox and i'm like oh oh 
that's really nice. And the mailbox, like, like a big ugly loaf of bread or something. You know what I mean? It's just like you can tell when someone doesn't pay close attention to proportions. And I think the whole state of New Jersey doesn't pay attention to proportions. <laughs> Here we go. Bob's Dave's face, Dave's eyes just almost popped out of his head. No, I'm joking. Alienated a huge number of people, but yeah, I'm joking. No, I'm joking because then I'll explain why. And this is the first thing I thought of. In New Jersey, there's lots of what you call McMansions, and my brother lives in one. My brother bought uh, a very expensive house made on a small plot of land, and it is made by the contractor. It does not seem like they ever hire an architect. They just put uh dormers and roof peaks and and they just like the more roof peaks and the more peaky peaks and the more valleys in the roof makes the house look more expensive and more cathedral-like on a really tiny piece of property on a really tiny footprint so that's one place for instance and it happens all over the country i just pick it on new jersey because i drive through and i see these brand new houses made by a contractor who never hired an architect i assume it doesn't look like they did or at least the architect that actually graduated school because the proportions are all just insanely bad, like houses with giant columns. And it's a house that's supposed to maybe mimic like a, a, you know, a plantation house of the South, but it's got these like two story columns that are six inches wide and just horrible proportions. And, and it happens a lot when you see these, these like uh, groups of homes built you might call it urban sprawl. These houses are built quickly and, and, and they'll, they'll make a concept that's wrong to begin with. And then they'll mirror image it for the neighbor's house. And then they'll flop it back for the next house and mirror image it for that neighbor's house. So this is where you see a lot of, a lot of design happening fast and not, not done very well in, in home design where they build homes really quickly. Um, that's one obvious place. And what's sad is that the younger people come up, come up, they don't realize this house has nothing to do with, the classic design of you know it might be it might be mimicking greek greek revival but it's that might be the inspiration but it's something completely different and horrible and uh, it's the reason why you see these designs that get repeated over and over from from classic greek culture until now and uh, the proportions are right there's something about it and i always tell somebody if you're going to make something up just go and copy something that that's pleasing to you that was made 100 years ago because mm-hmm. more than likely, if it's made more than 100 years ago, it didn't stand the test of time, and there's no more pictures of it anywhere. Just my thought. That's a, that's, that's a, really, that's a really good tip there. I, uh, whether it's been um, music or photography or graphic design or woodworking, I've always kind of like when I get into a, a new thing, I do try to steal somebody else's layout, steal somebody else's design or their comp- uh, composition until I get a feel for it. Because there's something that this successful person has done that has worked and it works for a reason. And until I completely understand good composition or proportions or design, I'll, I'll keep doing that. And then eventually it'll become, it'll become my own. Like if, if you draw cartoons and you, you, um, uh, you, you're mimicking somebody that you you adore. Eventually, it's very likely that you can't do that exactly. But if you if you if you take that, your own movements and your own background is going to cause you to kind of tangent out onto a, a, another plane where you're kind of bringing your design into somebody else's, and then it becomes your own. So, I, I can't stress enough: steal other people's design at first until you get a good sense of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I actually just wrote that down. I, I think there's a a lot like looking at reference for things like proportion, even like if you're going to build a set of shelves, looking at a whole bunch of other shelves, if for no other reason than like you're saying, Jimmy, to say like, I like that one, but I don't like this one. There's a there's a lot of value in finding those two things and then dis- dissecting them and be like, why are they different? Why is it that I like this one? What is it about it? Is it the construction? Is it the material? Is it the whatever? But you'll often find that just the like the thickness of the uprights relative to the shelves is different from shelf to shelf depending on the material and why why it's being made and stuff like that. And so you'll find that you are drawn to one and then figuring out why you're drawn to that I think is probably – will help you figure out a lot of stuff. What you were talking about, David, with the music or with the, you know, like cartoons and stuff. Several years ago, 
one of my favorite bands, Mute Math, uh, came out with like their first album and the first full length album. And I loved it. And I still love it. It's a great album. But I listened to it so much and there was just something about it that I couldn't quite like I don't know why this sounds different than everything else that's out right now. And I couldn't figure it out. And I was writing a lot of music at the time as well. And I didn't want to rip them off, but I thought it would be really interesting to try to figure out why it's different. And so the first thing I went to was song structure. And so I spent probably two evenings listening to the album and I would listen to a song and, f and listen to all the different parts, you know, because most songs have like verse, chorus, they may have a second chorus or a bridge, these different sections that repeat in different orders, that song structure. So I went through the entire album and I wrote out A, B, C for the different sections and I wrote out the song structure for these so that I could see it. And it was so all over the place. And that was one of the big things, at least, that was unlike any other album that I had heard in a very, very long time because their structure was, like, not linear. Like, most you know, most songs, uh, you can hear the verse, chorus, the verse, chorus, then there's a bridge, then there's another chorus, end of song. That's super common. Theirs was, like... It's called the, the top 40 formula. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Their, theirs was, like, verse, chorus, second chorus, second type of verse, third mm. type of verse, and then four choruses, and then a totally different new piece that ends out the song. You know, it was, like, just crazy all over the place, but it really made the songs different. And so I never like took one of those structures, although I guess you could, you could take that structure and apply your own music to it. But just getting, seeing a, a really obvious tie between this sounds totally different. And part of it is because they are breaking the mold. They're breaking the pattern as to what it, most other people do as far as how they build out their songs. Um, and that's like a whole topic by itself, I guess. But that was an example where I, um, they stood out because of maybe it's not proportion, but composition for sure. Um, and I had another thing connected to that and I forgot what it was. I, I oh yeah. Yeah. So as far as like, sorry, as far as the composition and like why things look good, you know, like lines and shadows, like he was talking about, honestly, that is like a, at least two semester course at art school. <laughs> <laughs> to describe why that is and to learn how to like recognize it. That's there are composition classes and there are lighting classes and there you know so there, I don't think we can get to all of it. But. We there we definitely can't but there are some basic things that you can that you can understand. Uh I get asked like do you use the golden ratio at, at all in your projects? And I personally don't. I go by feeling, but I have I have uh I bet if I go back and look at some of the furniture pieces that I made, they're really close to the golden ratio, but think of, um, um, when you're first starting out and you're designing furniture or whatever you're making, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it because it's the, the too many lines, the too many things to look at is, is distracting from what the actual piece is. And maybe you can use the golden ratio to, to help you get the proportions right. And, and think of things that have weight. So if you're making a dresser, your top drawer, in most cases, is not likely to be taller than the bottom drawer. You want the weight to kind of be on, on the bottom. So there's a flow to the whole piece. So either all the drawers are equally spaced in size or they're smaller at the top and they get bigger at the bottom. So you have to kind of think of things with, with weight and that goes along with your proportions. I think another thing, just in that specific example, another thing that people often forget about, and I have to catch myself a lot, is <clears throat> excuse me, the thickness of a top on a piece of furniture. Because a lot of times when people will worry about you know, the thickness of the border, or like the face frame on the front of something, the height of the drawers relative to each other, and then they'll put like this super anemic top. You know, <laughs> it's like a single sheet of plywood on the top or something. Right. That you know, you thicken that up with a border or something and that proportion will affect how the rest of it looks. So I don't know, I don't know why that stuck out to me, but it also it can add a, a, an air of quality to it that you don't understand why, but because it's thicker, it just looks more substantial. It might look like it has more girth to it, literally as far as feeling and physicality. So a lot of times uh, when you make something, when I make something for a client, I want it to feel girthy. You know, that's more of a concept than an actual physical 
and I want it to just feel like it's worth its money. So, you know, you might add something thick, thicker to it here or there or, you know, give it some nice substantial legs or whatever it is. I mean, I don't have a specific example, but yeah, it's important to study other design. It's almost like when you go into a thrift shop and you see paint by numbers or that's not even a good example because paint by numbers makes you do good proportions because you're painting inside <laughs> the lines. But when you see folk art or you, there's a restaurant on Long Island I used to go to and the guy collected paintings by amateur artists. And it was great to see people's interpretations of portraits and, and many of the pictures were very flat because people didn't understand how light would hit an object. And, uh, but you think of the difference between a painting by someone that understands painting versus someone that's never studied, but, but has the urge to paint and you can compare the two. And it's, it's very similar concept when you make something, there's a, uh, a lot of assumptions that the untrained person would make and they step back and it looks good to them. And, you know, maybe they're not from an artful group of people and everyone's like, that looks great. But then when you look at it, you're like, well, this is too big. That's too skinny. That's too tall. That's too awkward. And then all that being said, there is a style you can develop if it's intentional, if it's just random and you don't really know what you're doing, that's when it kind of feels, but if it's weird and you have a, an intention behind it. And, and as, as, as your own artist, maybe you've never been trained as an artist, but you are an artist and your own intention behind it has some good reasoning and you understand why you made it wrong and the reasons why you made it wrong are heartfelt, then you can get away with it. I believe you can get away with it. Yeah. I think one of the, from art school, one of the big examples that speaks to that is cubism. So cubism mm -hmm. was like, uh, I mean, Picasso was one of the more popular cubist but not the only one but his idea was to take all of like a face all of the sides of the face that you would see from every angle and show them at the same time so when you look at it it looks like a child drew a face because you see both cheeks both ears <laughs> you know all the the eyes everything all in one flat image but the idea was you're seeing all sides of something at the same time so yeah that, just what you said you know having a specific idea and a reasoning for doing a certain thing that's different than just not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if it's different, but <laughs> it's maybe a reason to. I think another, another great tip to tie different parts of a piece together is if you have a design element in one thing, that design element needs to be repeated somewhere else. So it doesn't, it doesn't stand out and it, and it brings the whole thing together. So if you have like a little accent line in a leg and maybe it's like a thin contrasting piece of wood you might want to repeat that somewhere else in the top that way they all feel like they, they belong and there's some continuity in the piece you before we started recording you mentioned a couple of things about like chamfering and stuff oh you had some good points. You want to say that again? So a lot of times uh, when you do beef up a top and it's really thick, sometimes that it, it has a heavy feeling. And to lighten that up, I will put a chamfer on something. So the edge of it is maybe three quarters of an inch thick, but the board is actually, or, or the top is, is an inch thick. So you get that, you get that weight, you get the, the strength of an inch thick piece, but it only looks three quarters of an inch because you're adding that chamfer, you're, you're lightening up the piece and you can do the same with, with round overs and, and things like that. Also and, make something sharp to more fuzzy, you know, emotionally. If it's sharp, it's like, oh wow, that's pretty sharp. But you know, you don't, these are things you're not always conscious of. If it's got a softer edge, you like, it, it, it's like sitting next to a fire versus standing next to the coal, you know, right. it's like, but it's so, it's so, it's so unconscious. And then those those things also add shadow lines and gives the the piece a little bit more depth too because the way the light hits something it's going to be bright here and, and and darker here so shadow lines is something I, I think about quite a bit I never if I'm having a box I rarely ever have the four sides of the box like sit on a surface I want there to be a shadow line on the bottom so usually the bottom of that piece is going to be chamfered or raised with with feet or something just to give it that that shadow line. And with the shadows, another thing uh, to keep in mind is like the material that you're picking. Like obviously, if you make something out of walnut, the shadows are going to be less obvious, less useful because the material itself is going to eat up. You know, there's not contrast there. Um, and I think a lot of times I've noticed this recently. A lot of people make beautiful furniture, but they use material that is so 
contrasty or figured in and of itself that you lose some of the detail of the furniture, which is a shame. Like I've seen some beautiful pieces recently that I was just like, I can't really see the shape because there's so much going on in the grain that you miss some of the details that were put into it for the work itself. And I don't know, maybe that's just like a stylistic thing. Um, but it's definitely something I, I do a lot of plywood, right? So I loaded a lot of solid uh, color face. So I, I don't really have to worry about that too much. And if I use a hardwood, it's because I'm trying to show off that grain. And so therefore I'm not going to put a lot of detail around it or anything, but it's just something to think about because you can lose your work in the wood grain. You know, if it's if there's color, color of something too is important. I'm not a very big color guy. I only paint things that clients ask me to paint. Usually I'll leave the natural tone of the wood in many cases, but it's funny. There's a church here near near where I live in Greenville, and there'll be two people on the whole podcast. I know I'm talking about. There's a church, and it used to be yellow with brown trim. And I thought to myself, who thought that was a good idea? It's a beautiful church. It's not. It's not. It's like no. It's a private home at this point. And then a few years ago, they painted it baby blue with dark blue trim. And I just thought to myself, wow. who thought that was a good idea? There's got to be a color scheme that that accentuates this antique building. I mean, this building's 130, 40 years old. It's a beautiful old church that just, I feel so, it's like, it's like when you see a dog wearing clothes and you just go, oh, I shouldn't have clothes on. This is a beautiful <laughs> church that is painted horrible colors for the last 20 years, at least that I've noticed. And one day it's going to feel its former glory of being maybe just white. Yeah, don't have a discount, just a simple, like this building, it's like a Greek revival style. It should just be painted white. It shouldn't have colors on it. So sometimes you got to be the purveyor of history and you just got to make things the way they're meant to be. Instead of being like, I want it to be blue because it's my <laughs> personality. So No one uh, cares about your personality. The whole town's <laughs> got to look at this building constantly. I remember when uh, Ben from Homemade Modern posted photos of him painting that, uh, um, what's he what's he building the the little houses out of the storage containers yeah. and when when he yeah. painted the outside uh, i think it was like a uh, gray just a solid color it looks so cool because of the texture of the of the piece caused these three or four different shadow lines what made it it made it look like there was black dark gray light gray and then uh, like a white just the way the the shadows played on there and like like you said if you just painted that church white all that trim and stuff is going to create some contrast just because of all the shadow and the nooks and crannies of that piece. That's a good point. We we're actually kind of trying to figure out tile for the room that we were um, talking about right now, the mudroom. And it's interesting when you look at a long, skinny room, we find these tiles that have a pattern on them, some floral, not floral, but like a, you know, like a, a tile pattern. And they look cool you know, one at a time. And then when you try to visualize that pattern repeated over the course of a really long, skinny room, it's, it can, in my mind anyway, it can look like too much. Like it would detract from the room because you would be looking down at just like a lot of busyness. We found this one, uh, Jenny found this one really cool tile that had this, these geometric lines on it. And they were uh, these kind of triangles and stripes and they were black, kind of a middle gray and white. So super contrasty in and of themselves. And so we looked at the single image of the tile and we're like, wow, that's pretty, it's like modern. It's, you know, it's monochromatic. It looks pretty cool. And then they showed an image of the floor with that all over. And it looked like it was crazy. It was like somebody took all of MC Escher's drawings and just exploded them onto the floor. It was so overwhelming. Um, but yeah, maybe that's not relevant. She just walked in here and made me think of that. Um, but you know, even something can look good in small quantities, but as you scale it out over a large room or over, obviously, over the side of a church or whatever, maybe they don't work so well. So. Yeah, you got to you got to also put if you're going to put a texture or a pattern on something, you got to see how it inspires or influences the design. If you put vertical lines on something that's kind of chubby, you'll make it look a little longer, or consequently make it look shorter if you put them the other way. So if you're going to put a grain pattern on something, for instance, you want that grain pattern to go top to bottom or do you want it to go left to right? And how is that grain pattern, if it's prominent, going to inspire the look of that, that piece of furniture 
or whatever it is you're doing, a wall of a room. You're going to put grain pattern on it. How is it going to look? I remember a couple of years ago, there was, uh, well, for many years, putting boards on a wall, like an old farmhouse look, going north to south was the way. And then I remembered in, in the 80s, they started this herringbone pattern on the outside of a building. They would put cedar-shaped herringbone pattern on the outside of a building, and it would just make a classic building look confused because it would be like, what am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be a rug or am I supposed to be a building? I don't know what I'm supposed to be. <laughs> and, then, and then years ago, kind of the hipsters started this thing about 10 years ago where interior boards on walls would start going horizontal and it's just different from what it used to be. But then if it's done with enough intention, it begins to look like the norm and it starts to look, Oh, that's, that's contemporary. These farmhouse boards are now going horizontal and they're no longer going north and south. So like I said, with intention, you could definitely mix up the rules, but when you're mixing the rules up unconsciously, it it, it tends to, tends to have an ill informed or an ill uh, educated consequence make that make sense yeah yeah I, i'm wondering like as you said that um i'm wondering what we could help people with who maybe don't have the experience or the reference for a good proportion or a good you know what i mean like we went to school and we've been around this stuff enough that we can kind of pick out what looks good to Google. us or you know, <laughs> well, but like that, I mean, like what does somebody look for? If they want to learn kind of good proportion, they want good to learn. Good proportions, you type in good proportions for a dresser and then you'll get bombarded with 20, mm. good good proportions for handmade mailbox. <laughs> and I'm just thinking. Well, but I'm thinking even more like even more general than that because one of the things you mentioned earlier, if somebody gives you their logo and you're like, oh, that's nice. A lot of the things <laughs> that people, <laughs> when people who don't have a graphic design experience, they go to design a logo, the proportion of like the image to the size of text or the size yeah. of text to other text is just yeah. totally out of whack yeah. and it's not readable. Is there something that we can offer? That's we like- talked about this, for instance, with the, with, the, with the logo. Shrink it, put it on your thumbnail. And what disappears, get rid of. Hmm. If the or type is not read, yeah. yeah, get rid of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or, or adjust the proportions. But if you have a logo that has, you know, uh, backyard builder man for YouTube, you know, get rid of all that. You just want it to just be backyard builder. So there's a lot of times is that that fat that people don't realize. You could just go get rid of this, that, and that, and then here's your thing. And then you just like I'll take a sharpie and cross out all the things. Simple. Hey, there's your new logo. That was yeah. free. That that little consultation was free. So yeah. <sighs> Cut back, cut back. You know, if there's there, like, what is the, what is your title on YouTube or what is your, the name of your company? Uh, what is the essence of what is your company? And just use that word. And maybe you need a, maybe you need a, I don't know. I don't know anything about the English uh, structure. You need like another, like the, <laughs> the guy, the bug doctor, you know, whatever that thing is, instead of saying, you could even just go bug doctor. Oh, you're bug doctor. I love your logo. I hated yeah. your old logo where it said the bug doctor is the best doctor in town. <laughs> I like your new logo. So like get oh, rid man. of the fat. There's so many good titles. You keep coming up with good titles and I keep changing the title of the episode while we're recording. Another thing that works the in that same bug way, like shrinking it down. The best bug doctor in town is the best bug doctor. Is squinting. So if you look at – and this would work oh, with yeah. furniture as well or like the front of a house or whatever. If you look at it and you squint, those details that are too small – will fade away automatically. You can't see them. Um, the same kind of thing with, like, your fur- you were talking about shadows and stuff on furniture. If you can look at a piece of furniture and squint and still see those details, then they're noticeable enough. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like them there, then you shouldn't have them, you know. Um, so I, I'll do that a lot of times. If we're looking at room, a room, you can get overwhelmed with, like, the detail of uh, all the stuff that's sitting around on shelves, things like that, you know, like all the the things that draw your eyes. But if you squint, it becomes blobs of like dark over here, light over here. And then you can actually see the big shapes in the room. And that can be really helpful. Same thing would work with the logo. So. Yeah. I, and I joked about, I joked, I picked on uh, new housing design and, and I, and I really mean it. I, I really mean to pick on new housing design because when you drive through like a, a homeowners association or something where like one person with bad, design sense got the opportunity to design 48 homes in a row and they have PVC fencing between everybody's house and everything is very extremely partitioned off. Most of these houses have too many dormers 
too many valleys on the roof and way too much facial trim. There's like a, you know, a, a one by three around every window and a one by three makes a big X on the side because it's like half federal style, half barn country style, half colonial. They don't know what it is. So they just put trim X's all over the house and, and they're painted bright white and the house is painted a beige and the roof is painted brown. It, it just seems ill educated. They just seem misinformed as to what the style is. And that's, that's sort of, unfortunately it's taken over the American style. Every strip mall is like a facade of, part colonial, part modern, part federal style. They don't know what it is. They don't know what it's supposed to be. And I, it, what is so sad is that the architects that design that have no idea either. And they have an architect's license. And they, I don't know how they got as far as they did to be able to decide what a strip mall looks like in middle America. But it just seems random to me that but somebody's got the job. That's it. I'm done ranting. <laughs> what? One of the things, when you become um, good at something or when you do something long enough, one of the things that kind of ruins that is you pick apart other other pieces, other art, uh, other th- things that other people make all the time. I remember uh, I, when I was a graphic designer, every single billboard that I saw or a magazine ad, I'm just like, this is great or this is bad. And then it transferred when I became a web developer, I'm like, this website's amazing. This website is bad. It's always the first thing I thought of before actually getting the information from the website. And now I kind of do that with furniture and wood and, and, and art pieces. And so I think that helps me become a better designer because I'm constantly picking apart other things or constantly saying, I like that. I like what they did there. So one of the things that could help you as a listener is just, be a little bit more conscious of what you see and force yourself to pick out the things that you like and force yourself to pick out the things that you don't like. And the more you do that, the more you just find yourself doing it in your everyday life. And you're going to, you're going to retain that information. And I think that's the thing that helps that's going, in my case, that's the thing that helped me become better at design. You know, it makes me nervous because right now we have like five strip mall design listener listening. And they're going to make, they're just going to make that ugly design better and betterly ugly. Betterly ugly. Is that a word? Betterly ugly? <clears throat> It'll become the More norm. Ugly. And then people will appreciate that 100 years from now. I can't imagine, like, like when we, like, it happened sort of in the 80s. When we look back at design from the 80s, you don't get that warm, fuzzy, oh, that's like so cool. Like when we look at something from the 60s or the 50s or especially mm. the 40s, we look at the yeah. 80s and go, oh, that's when things started going bad. And I don't know, did they ever get any better? I don't think so. I mean, we could look at like Macintosh computers and like the whole iPhone, that whole revolution. That, I mean, I'm a Mac guy and all the PC guys are going to go, oh, of course you like Mac. Brainwashed. But that whole concept of design seems to like it's going to have a very nostalgic feel in the next 20 years. But a strip mall, you know, that's going to get blown over by a tornado, you know, aside from the guy who owns the property and loss of damage in property but it's not going to be lost it's going to be lost in time because it's just so it's like they might as well put a store inside of a refrigerator box because it has the same design aesthetic well yeah i mean i think you know uh how, how quickly and how cheaply things have been made over the past several decades probably has a lot to do with that in architecture and in a lot of other things eventually stores are just going to be a big box that's it they're just going to be like a uline cardboard box they're going to pop open and put a glass door and a sign on <laughs> And that would that's have more personality than what they make. That's not that's a bad idea, actually. And then it, what's funny to me is you go by the strip mall and then like the Chili's is like, we're better than that strip mall. We're going to be on our own in the front of the parking lot. We're going to be <laughs> as ugly, but we won't know it. So, <laughs> as you, as, There goes as, our Chili sponsorship. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> as we get further removed from these design <laughs> movements and uh, that are associated with decades, the further you remove from it, the more we tend to like it and go back to it. So there's a lot of Not 80s, the 80s. I'm t- and I'm telling you, there's a lot of <laughs> 80s elements and in, in the graphic design that is coming back. If you look at current day uh, top 40 album covers, you're seeing like neon lines, you're seeing the squiggly lines, you're seeing the triangles come back and you're seeing the bright, vivid 
uh, colors that don't normally work. You're seeing that come back in a lot of things. You, you uh, know what I've seen come back a lot, which blows my mind? Mom that, jeans. Uh, what, mom jeans? No. <laughs> mom jeans mom, are back. I have mom I jeans on right now. I got off my deck. <laughs> no. I don't get it either, Bob. No. the <laughs> And I, I call – I don't know for lack of a better term. When I was a kid in the 70s, you had that electric company – sort of hippie graphic design style, hand-drawn, schoolhouse rock, like bubble letters drawn, like maybe even cartoons or uh, made into motion graphics. You had that bubble letters where like you'd have like hand-drawn, big, deep shadows. Uh, I see that coming back and and I think it's kind of cool. That is cool. I think there was an airline recently that put out a whole banner of ads done like the schoolhouse rock logo and if nobody knows what i'm talking about google schoolhouse rock 70s art and it's it's all hand drawn to have like to make look like big monolithic letters but it has a warm fuzzy feeling because it's hand drawn by somebody that has like Mm -hmm. a a playful sense of humor yeah we're like an hour in so we should probably wrap it up wait i have more to say about strip malls Okay, let's talk about strip malls for another half an hour. <laughs> the after show is all about strip malls. Um, any other thoughts on proportion design, light yeah. shadow strip malls? Look at your Long thing. You, look at your thing, and is, is it a combination of federal, colonial, early American, modern, recessed lighting, strip frames, <laughs> windows, dormers, valleys? If it's all those things, then you did it wrong. Look at one of those things. Look at your thing and think about: Can you remove this? And is it is it still a thing? And and so mm. if you can, does that thing need to be there? Does it enhance or detract? Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> sure. I don't have anything to add to that. Squint. I don't know. That's squint edition. Squint. Um, let me thank our Patreon supporters, which I didn't pull the list up and I should have, and I'm going to do that right now, uh, because I was ill prepared, but big thanks to everybody that supports us on Patreon, especially it's, it's uh, man, I thought it would load faster than that. I thought I could make it oh, happen. We're waiting. We're waiting. <laughs> and you're going to nail know, it this time. I'm sorry. You're going to yeah, nail it. Totally. You I'm not going to say all the names wrong this time. Man, it's taking forever. All right. Uh, yeah. Especially, wise old Dal, Evan and Caitlin, Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Nick Ryan, Caleb Harris, Maker in Training, Fun Kiss, Artistic Creations, yes, Blondie Hacks, and Make, Build, Modify. Yes! Um, there, Yeah, I totally nailed it. They're our top supporters, but we have a ton of people that help us out over there on Patreon, and we're really grateful for all of you. Thank you. Um, I will throw this out there, just so everybody knows. We're getting rid of the uh, T-shirt tier. We're trying to get everybody shirts that deserves a shirt for that support, but we're going to get rid of that tier so that we don't have to keep up with the fulfillment of it. So you can still get a T-shirt, I believe. Right, yes, David? yes. Yeah, you can yeah. still order the T-shirts from Juke Mode. Yeah, they just won't be uh, a Patreon reward anymore. Correct. But um, – Thanks to everybody over there who helps us out. And if you want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it and help us out. Even a dollar gets you the after show, which today is going to be all about strip malls. Can't wait. And mom jeans. <laughs> really quick. So I have, yes. I have something that I'm thankful for because we just had Thanksgiving. I am thankful yeah. for Brandon for helping us out with the podcast and doing the editing. Yes. It, it just makes life easier. It really does. It so really thank does. You. Yeah. And thanks to the Patreon supporters because they help us pay Brandon for oh, the Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. Super awesome. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys for that. Have you been watching anything cool? I have something. That I so I was struggling while you guys were talking. I was like, I don't have a thing. And then all my history is garbage. But there's this one guy might. <laughs> uh, there's this one video that has value out of the last 40 videos that I watch. And it's called Guy Makes a Big Ball Out of Plywood. It's a it's a fun video. There oh, are, I've been seeing that. That looks like a good video. There's some, uh, there's some really cool techniques and then some really cool tools that we don't have access to. And you'll enjoy it. Sweet. Whoa. Yeah. That is quite 
quite a thumbnail. Huh. Yes. Cool. Uh, well, I since I just kind of vented about my uh, my disdain for new American strip mall design, <laughs> I, it reminded me of Bill Burr. I've been listening to the Bill Burr yeah. podcast for about the last six months, and I look forward to it every Monday and Thursday. It makes me laugh, and he rants on stuff like I just did a little bit, and uh, it, it's very funny. It, it's very rare that I look forward. There's only a couple of podcasts that I look forward to and know exactly when they're released each week. And his is definitely the top one. And I kind of like I find myself being a little bit like, oh, what's going to entertain me next? Oh, the new Bill Burr podcast is out today. And then I you don't look for you it. don't feel angry after listening to his podcast? No, I think it's hilarious because I know it's so tongue in cheek with him. And yeah. and he's definitely since he's gotten married and had a kid, he's not nearly as angry as he used to be. And he's being more conscientious and being more nice. And he, he's a little bit he's not he's not necessarily left or right. He's definitely more liberal down the middle. And uh, but he still has very funny opinions about stuff, and he and he's he's just funny. Cracks me up. He's so one he, of the, he's like he's like a lot of the guys I grew up with, which is what makes me feel like funny. warm and fuzzy. Well, he's but, a uh, he, he's what is he he's from Boston, right? From that area? Yeah, Boston. Yeah. But he also moved around the East Coast. Like I think he lived in Virginia or something when he was a kid because of okay. his dad's job. He's one of the comedians that I love that I've not seen yet. And he, uh, one day I've I seen him live a couple people. times. Yeah, he's, he's funny. And what's funny, I was I was watching him like on YouTube. I always do for the last many years since he's been on Chappelle's show when I first saw him. And uh, I've had him on the plane in the background. And Taylor's like, "Who's that? Oh my god! Oh, who's that? He's so aggressive." And then Taylor got tickets <laughs> to go see him live in Chicago with a friend, and she's been a huge fan ever since that. So mm. Now, like when I play him, she's like, "Oh, turn up Bill Burr. I love him." <laughs> so it's funny how a live show can change your perception of. Something. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's many bands. That's truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for mine, I was watching on the treadmill this morning. Have you ever you ever heard of Ken Block? Mm-hmm. This is totally unrelated to making stuff, but whatever. Um, so Ken Block is one of the two guys that started DC Shoes a long time ago. And then when he sold that, he bought a race car and he started driving race cars. And so you've probably seen these videos before. He does these, uh, they're called Gymkhana videos where he drives he does like stunts in a rally car so he like super crazy drifting and like spinning around and under stuff and around stuff he's been doing these for a while um and they are fascinating like i i love watching there's one in a crazy mustang it's crazy yeah yeah is that him that's yeah yep that's him whoa i've seen that yeah that's great there's like 10 of these bizarrely good yeah they have a huge production crew and everything so you should to- totally watch all of the Jim Connor videos. There's like ten of them, I think, and they're five or six minutes. And it's just a dude driving crazy, just really crazy. But there's a new series on Amazon Prime, and it's like a behind the scenes of how they're making the newest one. Or maybe it's I don't know if it's hmm. out yet or not. I haven't seen them all, but it's um, it's behind the scenes of how they shoot these things and all the you know the type of driving he does and all the production behind how they put it all together. And I just watched the first episode while I was on the treadmill this morning. But this is how good the driving is and how dynamic the way they shoot things. I'm on the treadmill. This TV is right in front of me, and I'm running. And I don't have trouble running on a treadmill, but watching his car spin around and go sideways around these curves, I could feel my body start to drift <laughs> off to the side. And I would have to catch myself. Like, it happened three or four times. I just pictured you getting like, shot off of the treadmill like from your face. <laughs> <laughs> crumpled against the wall behind <laughs> it might happen i don't know but yeah it's is really cool i love that type of stuff like i love um people who are just really good at driving because i've never gotten to drive like that so it fascinates me anyway is a pretty cool definitely not like for kids i wouldn't watch it with kids but um it's pretty awesome so jim kind files anything else we're running long we have an after show to do uh-uh. you guys got anything else Let's yeah. hold on i'm writing all my notes down about strip malls all right, well, American, thanks for listening, everybody. Design. If you want to hear him talk about strip malls, just come new to the after show. New American Bad Design. That's going to be the name of my company, New American Bad Design. Ah, interesting. New American Bad Design. Okay. And love you. <laughs> See you guys next week.